Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petri. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul at 518-474-8390. That's New York. York State, Governor Hochul, 518-474-8390, to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. Also, if you could go to the site, pleasedoyourjob.com. We need over 2,000 more signatures to get a case reopened. That's pleasedoyourjob.com. And I'm very, very happy to have Dr. Elise Price-Tobler, PhD. She actually has a double PhD in severe parental alienation. And we're going to talk a lot about um, patterns of um, alienate what alienators do. We're going to talk about mental health practitioners challenges when working in family court and uh, their competency levels and lack of code of practice standards within parental alienation and mental health practitioners and vicarious trauma. We have so much to go over. I totally welcome you, Dr. Elise Price-Tobler, to my podcast. Thank you for coming on. And you're from all the way from Australia. Yeah, yeah. G'day, Marianne. Yes, Good. I am. <laughs> huh? Just outside of Sydney, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And so how did you get two PhDs in one? <laughs> That's well, it's a double study. It's two studies within one PhD. So um, two PhDs, I could have split it down the middle. Uh, yeah, so basically I um, just, well, let me have a little think about a couple of things because I've got a lot of notes here today and got a lot to get through. So um, I just really wanted to say I'm tremendously honoured to speak to you today about this very un pleasant but extremely important topic mm -hmm. known as severe parental alienation. Mm -hmm. My name is Dr. Elise Prestobler, as you said, and I'm an academic child, sorry, child abuse researcher who studies adult children of severe parental alienation. So I'm currently designing a treatment protocol for mental health practitioners, who I also call MHPs, who work with this vulnerable population. So daily, I wear three different hats. I'm a clinical psychotherapist with 38 years experience on the front line in mental health and disabilities. But most importantly, I represent the adult child survivors of severe parental alienation, also known as SPA, of which I am one. Mm. So my research is on the area of severe PA it is what I live and breathe, mm -hmm. finding a treatment for the MHPs, stopping the high suicide rates of adult children and the targeted parents, stopping the intergenerational trauma in my family and the families I work with is my life's work. So to provide you and your audience with a bit of background, as I said, I'm an adult child of SPAR and abduction. So Bar is a world that's completely normal to my siblings and me. 
um, which is why I study it. Um, my background is my father and mother separated when I was four and finally divorced when I was eight. The campaign against my denigration against my father was extreme, to say the least. And my life as a child is full of pretty terrifying stories and events. <laughs> so about my mostly bad about my father because I lived with my mother and her parents after she took us one night when my father was at work that's when it started so oh, yeah so wrong and you've missed out on 25 years with him yeah 25 years for um probably 30 years oh. that's we believed all of the lies and delusions and we were caught up in the web of it all really mm -hmm. we believed that he was unsafe and dangerous and we we lived with an alienator who completely believed all of the stories that she fed to us so we were also children of Munchausen's by proxy also known as FDIOA which stands for factitious disorder imposed on another mm. um the psychological and sometimes physical variant as well as spar and family and domestic violence at the same time so as as such i intimately understand the behaviors of alien alienating parents of the severe variety mm -hmm. like and how they think and what they're capable of mm -hmm. and it's complex and horrific at the same time Anyway, to cut, to cut a long child abuse story short, um, we were brainwashed into thinking that our father or one of his family members or friends was likely to abduct us during contact visits and perhaps we'd even be killed. So we're of the severe variety. So some of the listeners today might only be familiar with a mild or moderate variety of PA so I'm going to put a trigger warning in right at the beginning of this um, podcast because um, there's a lot of things in here that might upset some people. So, okay, yeah. And we believed the delusions and we lived in a world of hypervigilance and control really as children. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's hard to get out of. We had no voice about missing our father and if we did, it would end up in severe punishment. So we were shut up and we were shut down. So it's uh, a living grief, really, that mm -hmm. you're in because you've got what, children who have a parent who die, everybody's around and everyone's sad and everyone's supporting you, but children of uh, severe parental alienation, when they're cut off from that parent, our grief doesn't stop. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's a living grief for us. Mm -hmm. So it's uh it's pretty hair raising. Yeah. That's a shame. That's a shame that you went through that and your siblings as well. Mm. Have, have they come through such as you did and recognized the uh shared persecutory delusions? Yeah, absolutely. We talk about it all the time, which is fantastic because having siblings, we can validate and check each other's memories and stories and a lot of that's how we 
understand a lot of what happened to us, but it's taken a long time and it's taken me to do a PhD to fully understand what this space is like and how do we move through it? How do we get better when a lot of the mental health practitioners that we've had to sit in front of for years and years, because I went to 15 schools as a child, I was expelled from three high schools mm. and you get put in front of a lot of psychologists when you're, um, you know, really distressed because you're a child living in a severe PA, which nobody ever noticed mm. and they just don't know how to work with you. So mm. it's a big problem. That's why I went, oh, okay, well, I work in the industry. I think I'll do a PhD on it. Actually, I'll do two studies and then see what happens within that space. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> yeah. So we were abducted interstate um, under false names and the paranoid delusions that we were exposed to and believed um, have been continued to this day by my alienating parent. Um, they don't stop. They totally still believe everything and they live in the past mm -hmm. and they'll still keep talking about things that happened way back then. Uh, what we do is we just get better at handling them because now I look at um, my severe alienator as being very unwell. Mm -hmm. So it's it's likened to somebody who lives with um, a severe and persistent mental illness. That's how I view my alienator. So we handle them now. We handle them and we work from that point of view. Okay. Uh, we're not on the back foot anymore. We're not scared, terrified little children anymore. We've got our power back. And we still maintain relationships with her, but we're in control now. So it's um it's a pretty interesting dynamic, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, it it's so that must be very hard to do. So yeah. uh, do you um, avoid her? I, I hate to say avoid her at all costs, but when you have to see her, you have to. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is we have children and grandchildren and on some level they have a right to see her as well, mm -hmm. but we protect them because we don't want a repercussion of what we went through and the pattern is, from what I can see and everything I read, that the pattern's highly likely to continue, mm -hmm. not only with us, but through into the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, as long as they're alive. So it's it's a very difficult pathology, that's for sure. And it's in the family court system. So mm. That's frightening. That gave me the chills. Because mm. it will affect generations to come. That's correct, it, and it does, and it is, and this is—it's a very intergenerational pathology and trauma. And um, I know the background trauma that all of that side of the family have been through too. And we've got trauma coming in from the other side, and this is how it manifests. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get a lot more mental health practitioners understanding the level of severity and how to work with this particular person. So um I I don't think a lot of them do. 
no. you know, the level of it or what they're even dealing with. We were talking earlier no. and I was telling you about this necklace I was wearing. Yep. And uh, one of my friends, you know, we had been shopping and she held, she found this sterling silver necklace and she said, this is you, you should wear this. It says, love you more. And it's like, oh my God, that's so funny. And we thought that was great, you know, and I, and, yes. and so I was able to see my kids. I was allowed, you know, cause I'm so crazy. I was allowed to see my kids as a, on a supervised visitation with the, the, um, the family psychologist, even though I was never invited to any of these, um, family sessions for counseling. Okay. <laughs> but my parents came, I brought the dog in Easter baskets and I was wearing this necklace, love you more. And no one, I, I, I didn't point at the necklace and say, Hey kids, I didn't even bring up the necklace. I was just hugging people, hug, hugging my my children and giving them their Easter baskets and having fun with the dog. But when it came to a hearing, that psychologist got on the stand and said that that necklace says, stating love you more was demonizing the father. Yeah, yep. Um, if I put my clinical psych hat on, for me to be hearing that from a psychologist on a stand in that particular perspective makes me truly wonder what bias that psychologist is actually bringing in because it's about the intent. And for me, I would have checked on what the intent was with regards to that necklace. So is it a necklace that's going to be there to demonise the father or is it a necklace that that is representative of something that you say to your children all the time and it's kind and loving and the intent is beautiful and the words are beautiful and very meaningful for you. So I'd be looking at what is going on for that psychologist and I'd be questioning why they're actually doing that job. Yes. Because, you know. That's a big spin. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the thing was I couple I don't know, a couple months or maybe a year later, I was going into the grocery store and, and a parent was coming out with their child and, and the kid goes, oh, I love you. I love you. And, and the dad goes, oh, I love you more. And it's like, oh. so it's no big thing. It's just a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. And I love you to the moon and back. That's right. another one. Mm -hmm. It's in all the children's books. It's what we read the children. It's, um, it's a sentence, uh, that a phrase that we use all the time. And and that will be used against you in a court of law. Yeah, that's very questionable question questionable behavior on the part of the psychologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A so. lot of them they just don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're up against and they cannot identify their alienator. Mm. But I'm also thinking if the children have heard that too, is that going to poison that beautiful memory for them from their mum? Is that going to taint it? Is that going to make them question or, or trigger them back into that horrible court experience? Like who knows? They've got to think about all these different angles. Mm -hmm. What damage does that cause for you, your child? Like we're supposed to be getting the family back together here, <laughs> not oh, siding one parent right I mean I, there's just so much money involved I don't think they care to yeah 60 billion dollar a year industry in America mm -hmm. at this point mm -hmm. when I say that figure to people they think I said million and <laughs> I have to correct them and say billion 
it's terrifying. Only so, in America. Oh, goodness gracious. So um, just go back to a little bit back to my story because I want to give some people hope that they might reunite with their children. Mm-hmm. So so um so after probably 20 years um 10 years with my dad and another 20 years apart from him I reunited with my tortured targeted father. Mm. That was a very difficult um space because at the time when I told my alienator I was going to be doing this, she came in with a whole bunch of new delusional thinking. Mm-hmm. Don't forget what I've told you. He's he's going to kidnap you. You don't know what his family are capable of. Like, this is what mm-hmm. I've been protecting you for all these years. I was freaked out. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. the Catholic nun that I was working with at the time. I've had her working with me for 30 years. She's had my back. She's my evoked companion. She's looked after me and kept an eye on me for 30 years. So I've got her in my head as well as my university studies. Mm-hmm. And she came in and she just said to me, Elise, I'm furious with your mother. We are going to go through with this. If you really want to do it, we're going to contact your father. And it took her moving me through that space. And then for 25 years after that, I was best friends with my father because turned out we were exact same personality type. <laughs> wow. So, and he and I got along like a house on fire, which we did when I was younger too, which is mm. what made the separation so difficult. I can't but, imagine. Um, and then because I reunited with my father, I guess he turned against me and now I was the demon child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very likely to happen because alienators only like you when you're aligning with them. Then you turn into the scapegoat. Oh, we're targeted. We're targeted. Uh-huh. We're now. We're 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 made out to be the monsters. The person who's going against them. They uh, they can be very disloyal to us. Talk about everyone terrible things about us and we just have to grow very very thick skins and try and because they're also rejecting us now like they did with the, with my father so it's a very hard space and a lot of practitioners they need to get this space <laughs> they don't know this no no so i've been i've been working on stopping spar and reversing the brainwashing that we are still being exposed to by our alienator. Mm -hmm. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about the pathology of the alienators and I'll try and keep it as simple as I can because it's not a new pathology. It's not unusual in mental health, but parental alienation has been around for a long time and it's it's a very well-known established standard psychology it seems like it's been around forever. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot to do with personality disorders and um, attachment pathology and family systems pathology. So, uh, but on a side note, um, as soon as the mental health field returned to established psych- psychological constructs, I actually think 
we can move forward to solve this because it seems to many of us, and I'm putting my clinical psych hat on now, that our research studies have sort of lost their way and drifted over into newer forms of pathology. So it's this is diverting our ability to stop and solve this, which has created a huge clogging from what I can tell of um, the high conflict divorce systems. So we've got trouble, but consequently, this is destroying our families, I believe. So at this point, my previous comment um, has been validated by the mental health practitioners in my research, So, which I'll talk a little bit about now. So I'll just grab my thesis here. That's huge. <laughs> It's a little big, so you just bear with me for a second. It's impressive. All Thank the work you. you did. Thank you. Uh, my life, I've been sitting in here for, you know, a long time studying child abuse. So all during COVID and everything. So mm -hmm. hopefully this is what's come out of it. So I'll tell you a little bit about my research. So um my research is called Working with Adult Child Survivors of Severe Parental Alienation Abuse, Survivors and Mental Health Practitioners Perspectives, a qualitative study. So it's a twin study, and these two studies present new insights into the perspectives of adult child survivors of severe parental alienation, SPAR, and their mental health practitioners, or MHPs, in addressing the complex challenges of, of SPA support and treatment. The term adult child survivor re refers to a child who has grown up and been exposed to SPA by one of their parents. Parental alienation refers to a process in which one parent, referring to the alienating parent, takes actions to negatively impact the relationship between a child and their parent. The concept is defined as the alienating parent's behaviours influencing the child to reject their targeted parent without reasonable explanation. However, in cases where child survivors have experienced severe levels of PA, the psychological abuse towards them and their targeted parent from the alienated parent has become more extreme, forcing the child's symptoms to manifest to distressing levels. For example, children experiencing spar abuse are adamant in their hatred towards the targeted parent, often refusing visits and even threatening to run away. But I'd say there's a lot more to it than that. Mm -hmm. uh, they develop an unhealthy alliance with the alienating parent, sharing paranoid fantasies about the targeted parent, leading to the relationship's destruction. Some children experiencing SPAR can exhibit extreme hostility, including paranoid delusions and baseless fears of being harmed or murdered. Now, this, this, is, this is very true. And a lot of the time when we're living with a, an alienator on the severe level, their persecutory delusions become ours. Mm -hmm. We believe it. So now... We're in the territory of Munchausen's by proxy psychological. So where it's factitious, disorder imposed on another. So their persecutory delusions they put into the children and the children fully and totally a lot of the time believe it. Sometimes we'll have glimpses of, is this true? Is this real? 
surely not, but a lot of the time we are trained to believe it. If we don't believe it or show any signs that we don't believe it, there are very serious consequences in this space for a lot of the children. It is a very serious form of family and domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So the people in out there who are saying, you know, it's the targeted parents who are being domestically violent, I would shine a light directly on the alienating parent and say, let's let's unpack that, shall we? Mm-hmm. See what you're doing to these children. So family and domestic violence in this space is very interesting because some of the things that the children are exposed to, like there's so many different categories. There's nine different categories of family and domestic violence. And within the nine different categories, there's there's like 10 to 15 different subcategories within there. And I'll give you I'll give you an example. So say, for example, social under the categories of abuse and violence, these children often will be socially isolated from family and friends. Mm -hmm. They're denigrating, listening to the denigration of their family and friends, and often they'll start to do it too. They're prevented from social um, opportunities. Um, They're often controlled in their appearance. They have um, social outing sabotaged. A lot of the time the alienating parent will need total attention. Um, The children can be exposed to having their uh, phone calls monitored, Mm -hmm. internet monitored, messages monitored. Um, And there's severe consequences if you don't align to an alienator who's doing a lot of these things. And that's just one category. That's just social. Mm -hmm. We've also got verbal category, physical category, um, psychological, emotional, technology facilitated abuse. Don't even get me started on that. We've Mm -hmm. got um, sexual abuse realm. Like there's so much in this space that mental Mm -hmm. health practitioners have to know about. It's, It's just unbelievable. So I'll just keep reading a bit. Um, So, however, in cases where child survivors have experienced far, oh, hang on, gone over that already, the issues of childhood exposure to severe levels of parental alienation behaviours is a prevalent and serious problem that can have long-term adverse effects on adult survivors. However, my research has shown Mental health practitioners are often ill-equipped to work with adult survivors due to limited professional development and a lack of established best practice treatment protocols to reference. Therefore, the re- my research has investigated so the adult survivors' perspectives and the mental health practitioners who work in this field, and in particular, the two studies focus on identifying efficacious, efficacious sorry, and counterproductive mental health um, practices so basically I've interviewed two lots of people and um, a mental health practitioners specializing in treating adult survivors experience ambiguity regarding the appropriate course of treatment mm-hmm. so for example during the data collection 10 of the mental health practitioners that I interviewed reported implementing 37 unique therapeutic modalities and therapies when working with adult survivors and that's a lot Mm -hmm. so um but interestingly only five of them chose the same treatment options so 
it's kind of like and all of the other participants utilized an additional 31 different modalities and and therapies now i just want to say at this point that these the therapists who are in my study are the cream of the crop top of the world experts in working with adult children of severe parental alienation the fact that they've gone over and above and then using this many modalities and this many treatment one shows that they're they really care and they're brilliant and a lot of them have to get professional development and pay for it themselves because we're, a lot of this we can study different things in, at university, but a lot of these are specialty subjects and a lot of the curriculums don't offer them. So we have to go elsewhere and look for them and get professional development on them. So it's pretty tricky. And the fact that they've done all of this is amazing. But what this also shows me is that none of them are on the same page. Mm. So if the best mental health practitioners in the world God bless them, are not on the same page, uh-huh. what are the rest of the mental health practitioners doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they, um, yeah, they've got to be on the same page. Uh, that's frustrating. Yeah, it's and it's indicative of what I experienced as a young person sitting in front of a lot of psychologists too because it was seemed to me to be Russian roulette, not that I would speak to any of them because a lot of the time in that in that space the alienating parent is out in the other room and they choose the therapist because the therapist often aligns with them mm-hmm. so they'll want to know what's going on in sessions they'll tell the therapist that we're sitting in front of all the dreadful stories about our targeted parent like these therapists they need to understand who they're dealing with in these sessions and getting therapists to align with you <laughs> and then take that information because a lot of the time we get our notes subpoenaed mm-hmm. and then they use that in court. So these therapists need to be extremely good at what they're doing and they need to be extremely knowledgeable about who they're dealing with so that they're not part of the problem and contributing to child abuse inadvertently like so many of the lawyers are mm-hmm. by siding a lot of the time with the alienating parent i consider them to also be contributing to child abuse i agree it's a big problem so the i'm just thinking I just want to touch on the pathology of an alienating parent because this pathology is at the core of my research. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's extremely important that any MHP who works with adult children of high conflict divorce and who are maybe experiencing severe parental alienation, they need to know exactly what they're getting into, as I'll demonstrate soon. Mm -hmm. Um, primarily if we drill right down one of the parents in this family has a borderline personality disorder or a narcissistic personality Um, about five to six percent of the population have narcissistic personality disorder and this about the same percentage is applicable with borderline personalities so if we combine the stats then about 10 to 12 percent of divorces will involve 
um, a narcissistic personality or a borderline personality or both. These personalities are inordinately high conflict. And we have $20 million insurance as practitioners, a lot of the ones that I know, against the, the things that come at us when we're working with these personality types. Mm -hmm. So that tells you a lot. Um, many times people think that it's both parents. Some MHPs think, no, it's not. Sometimes I've seen both parents with the same pathology fighting over children, but I'm leaning towards it only being one parent. Mm -hmm. However, when you have a parent with BPD or NPD or both, um, you only need one. Mm -hmm. Basically, this parent creates intense conflict that travels through the child and in turn ruining the family. Mm -hmm. At this point for me, I'll put my research hat on now um, as it seems barely anyone in the legal system or the mental health are managing to stop parental alienation. In the meantime, the children of SPAR are growing into adults of SPAR who are not able to access the proper mental health treatment and we're losing many to suicide. I cannot tell you how many of my young adults of PA and SPAR are now sitting in psychiatric units or in and out of psychiatric units. I've got a whole bunch of kids in foster care um, who nobody even knows what to do with. Um, and if I was to share with you about some of the things that the young adults that I see in my practice what they think and what they've been through, I can tell you you wouldn't be sleeping at all well tonight. It's it's uh it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I think um the courts and the practitioners really need to get on board with what's going on and we need to stop fighting. There's too much fighting going on out there in the PA arena. Mm -hmm. And I call it an arena because it reminds me of um, you know, all those warriors and chariots and coming out and warring with each other they're taking the light off the children they're taking by doing that they're taking the light off the research that we need to be doing and the protocols we need to be getting in place and we really all need to be getting on the same page this is this is just drawing out more child abuse and making more money and mm -hmm. i'm absolutely over it mm -hmm. yeah i agree <laughs> yeah it's a lot um and there's a lot of people that don't understand parental alienation and call it pseudoscience and this is getting old as well they should come sit with me for a day come with me to the psych units come with me to the emergency department and see how many of the kids down there are high conflict divorce kids come sit with me when i'm sitting with alienating parents in the room see that behavior going on mm. come come into the jail system with me and talk to the kids and juvenile justice who i work with and the men who were accused of um all the false allegations and the sitting in jail trying mm. to fight different things that are coming at them accusations that aren't true mm -hmm. um it's out of control and the women too there's a lot of women who are experiencing just dreadful things and I think um, a lot of the 
nonsense that I'm hearing out there is people who don't have first-hand experience of it don't see it like the practitioners do. They're not sitting in the court systems and they're not reading the research or doing mm-hmm. the research on it. They're just, again, clogging up the space and creating more high conflict, mm-hmm. which, again, contributes to child abuse. So they need to have a good look at themselves. And I can tell you now a lot of them are alienating personalities because I I recognise it, I see it, I hear it in their voices, what they say, what they write, how they come at people. They, A lot of them are the alienators. So I find that a very interesting space. Well, you, when we were talking earlier, you had said it's, you know, some of these stepmothers call you up. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah. I mean, as you know, my experience with uh, the stepmother who enjoys her job in the courthouse, you know, so you're getting calls from stepmothers. Yeah, yeah. So alienating people don't necessarily have to be mothers or fathers. They can also be stepmothers and stepfathers. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a very interesting dynamic because my, I'll give you an example. My poor father, he not only married one alienator, but married another two after that. Mm. So, and the third one, she, she was borderline personality disorder, uh, very, very high level, highly suicidal, highly manipulative, had my father in very serious domestic violence under coercive control and because he was so used to it from the first one and the second Mm -hmm. one he thought it was normal until I reunited with him and started pointing out dad I'm like dad you're in really serious domestic violence here with your (laughs) your wife you know um anyway needless to say she hated me Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. Um, my one of my other siblings is also a researcher too. Um, so between the two of us, Dad used to listen to us a lot. And towards the the end of his life, because he died in twenty twenty one, I had twenty five years with him. Um, he would ring me every day, and a lot of the time he'd be crying and didn't know what to do and how to get out of it and what was going to happen next and. Mm-hmm. I had to counsel him all the time about living in a domestic violence relationship with an alienator. Mm-hmm. And the also, the other terrible thing is um, she never, ever, ever liked him coming anywhere near his children because when she met him, we weren't in the picture. So she had him all to herself <laughs> and all his money and all his assets. And uh, so that we were alienated right from the beginning from her. So I I have um, alienating stepmothers ring me up a lot of the time and their perspective is particularly strange and it's just a really hard space and people need to realise that alienation it just isn't about the parent. It can be step-parents it can be particularly grandparents can be alienators um and they can alienate our children from us and our grandchildren from us Mm -hmm. which I have personally experienced because at the core of it all I 
to truly feel that the intergenerational trauma and the abandonment that they experience, they use us as their regular, what we call a regulatory object. So we regulate them. So if they're distressed or upset or anyone hurts them, we children are trained to regulate them. So they also expect they expect 100% allegiance from us. Mm-hmm. We're very, we are child soldiers. We're taught to, we're taught to be alienators as well because that's all we know. We're taught to denigrate um, people. We're taught to split up and go away from people very quickly. We're not taught to stay in relationships for a long time and we're not taught how to communicate with people because we are silenced we have no voice all of these skills are skills that we have to learn ourselves so it's a long journey when you grow up with somebody who's um delusional and controlling mm-hmm. it's it's a very very difficult space to get out of and a lot of these ch- children adult children will remain child soldiers for the rest of their lives because they don't have the skills to move away from an alienating parent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's They are the cult leader. They're the ultimate cult leader. And all the previous research has like says clearly we are biologically wired to these people. If we were in your everyday cult, we're not biologically wired to that cult leader. And everybody knows how hard it is to get out of a cult mm-hmm. So, um, and what goes into that. But when we're in our own little family cult with the alienator as the cult leader, we're biologically wired to that person. So that makes the, the, <laughs> the job of the mental health practitioner 10 times more difficult mm-hmm. because to go against an alienator we are taught that is the ultimate betrayal Mm -hmm. so it's very difficult so we live in a space of guilt a lot of the time we live in a space where they only have to look at us a certain way and we will instantly bring up a narrative that we've been taught like you can put us in court you can put us on the stand you can get us in interviews you can get us to talk to mental health practitioners but i can tell you now we're not going to tell you the truth a lot of the time we're not going to tell you the truth because we have to go home to that person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we say what's truly going on we're the ones who have to go home to that person and if we go home and we've gone against them our world is a very dark place there's a whole lot of stuff can go on in there and i won't traumatize your your audience here but we have to align with them they're our evoked companions we have to think what what is the narrative we have to say what is it that we have to tell everybody what is it that we have to get them to believe we'll do this for years and years and years because what's waiting at home for us is a lot worse than what's going on in court. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of people who are in court and working with children, a lot of the adult survivors in my study, I won't talk about them today because that's a very long topic and a completely different study, but a lot of them have been through the family court system and their parents have been 
uh, their targeted parents have been accused of the two silver bullets, child sexual abuse, family domestic violence. And one, I'll just give you a brief example, one of the adult children that I interviewed who cried for the entire interview and that interview went for two and a half hours. So I had to get an extension on a lot of the adult children that I interviewed because of the extreme nature of the interviews. So this was a pretty long interview and she said that she was coached to say that her father was sexually abusing her um, when she went into the counsellors and uh, who were working with her. The mother had alarms on her. The mother um, was also saying that she was um, being, like the father was being domestically violent towards her, so she had alarms on her. She had all the whole delusional stuff going on. The child was saying, this is not true. He hasn't done this to me. He hasn't, which is very interesting because um, I think she said she was so desperate and so sick of her, what her mother was doing that she actually started saying, no, 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 I'm not going to get to see my dad, like cut it out. And they said, no, no, you're only saying that now because we're so far into the court, the court case. So she said she didn't feel heard. This went for years. She was in the court system until she aged out at 18. And in the meantime, her father was accused of child sexual abuse, family domestic violence, and the entire community found out about it. So now she's an adult child who lived, as soon as she turned 18, she moved in with her father. As Since then, and now she has two children of her own, that her mother's trying to get off her, actually. Um, they're also in court, so the, the mother's trying to alienate the children. But the daughter moved in with the father and she said forever and a day now, and this is the important part, she's known as the child who was sexually abused by her father and it didn't happen. Mm. So she cried and cried and cried and cried and cried during that interview and she said she's never, ever, ever spoken to anyone before. Most of my adult um, participants had never spoken their stories before. So this is, we don't see into this community because they don't come forward. And most of them spoke to me because they know my work and they know that I'm an adult child survivor myself. So they spoke to me. I ha I was very, mm -hmm. very lucky to have spoken to them. And, and like I said, some of these interviews went for a very, very long time and the information I've gathered we've never seen before. So the court system has really no idea about the damage that's being done. Mm -hmm. And I know that your podcast is about the family court system and it's the long-term repercussions on these children if it's a false allegation is extremely concerning. So, and I'm talking about suicidality, suicidal, like suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm and psychiatric visits and coming and seeing me like all the time, like weekly and just, it's just awful, awful. These kids should be enjoying their childhood. And, and these not... are the children now, yeah. Yeah. And I know of another case where the mother was 
uh, just very coercively controlling her daughter. Hmm. And then she married a guy. It wouldn't have mattered who she married. She just didn't like any guy that would come into her daughter's life. Right. So then she placed allegations on him mm-hmm. and got their kids away from them. This is scary. I think we have to take any time there's a false or uh, an allegation of any kind in the family court, I think it needs to be dealt with in the criminal court. I think the... Um, the perjury that I'm seeing, and I, God, there's a lot of it. Oh my God, mm-hmm. it's, it's full on. Mm-hmm. The perjury that I'm hearing, the perjury I'm seeing, there's no consequence in the family court for yeah. perjury. Mm-mm. In criminal court, there is, and it would be investigated. But I think what we need to do is we need to make the judges more accountable. I think we need to have serious consequences for perjury. And because the, where people's lives, once they're, and a lot of people know this, once they've been accused of different allegations, they're guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this is, yeah, this is global. Yeah, dreadful. And um, I've there's a, a woman that I'm working with at the mm-hmm. moment who's having supervised visits. She's been accused of uh. She's had some false allegations against her. She's having supervised visits, but the workers who are working with her have stigmatised her very, very badly. They're treating her as though she's um, a pedophile and um, really violent person, and it's all because of what's coming at her from the targeted parent, uh, alienating parent, sorry, their ex. So this is a very wild space because... Um, I work with a lot of men who are experiencing domestic violent violence and allegations. I work with a lot of women who are experiencing it, and the fallout of it is very intense. And um, I'll give you an example. I'll put a trigger warning in here too. Uh, one of the men that I was working with, um, as soon as they came in, there was, they came in for couples counselling, and she had gone. They'd gone overseas. She'd had IVF and had twins. So they came back to Australia. The, the uh, IVF had twins, came back to Australia. She's got a long history of abandonment in her family. So she had these babies. And as soon as these babies were born, I saw a different woman. She turned into a different person. It was like yeah. she lived and breathed for these children and he didn't get a look in anymore. It was like these babies were the answers to all her mm. problems. And at that point she would not do any of the intrinsic work that I needed her to do about her trauma. She stopped. She started accusing him of all sorts of stuff. And then the next thing I know, um, she's threatening to cut his throat, threatening to withhold the children from him, and then got her father aligned with her, and then the father was now weaponized against him. Now, mm. I see this pattern a fair bit, and it can go with um, the other way with men doing it as well. Weaponizing mm. other people is something that, the community needs to understand 
about and not do because when there's a separation or troubles in a marriage, a lot of the time alienators will go out and they will start to get people to align with them because that's their number one thing to do. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult and people need to be very careful in this space not to believe everything that they hear because if you sat with me in my practice you would be like oh my god that is so not the truth (laughs) different Mm -hmm. sides and then she got to the point where he he actually went to the police he's a big guy he said she's threatening to cut my throat she's threatening to keep my children away from me I'm terrified for my life they laughed at him and then he came back to me and I'm like, oh, my God, this is absolutely out of control. For a man to go to the police and say, I'm in domestic violence and I'm very fearful of my life, and I know this, I knew this couple very, very well. I'd worked with them for two years. It's not like they just came out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he basically ended up having to move out, get a second job, and she's oh. now living in the house with the two children and he doesn't see them. So oh. it's just awful. And I have tons of people, tons of cases like that coming in. And then I'm dealing with the children and it doesn't matter what I do or say with the, with the severe alienating personality I say, I am an adult child of this. I'll tell you all about it. This is what we face. This is what we go through. This is this, this, that, that. Um, Children of divorce, growing up in single mothers, they're disadvantaged. They're, you know, they're highly likely to get with somebody who's going to be controlling of them. They just blankly look at me and they're like, what would you know? You know, I'm the mother. It's like, or Mm -hmm. I'm the father. It's, they don't want to hear from us they don't want to hear that they're hurting their children they have one thing Mm. that they're thinking about and it's themselves and I I I like to kind of give an example of a, a normal range parent when the baby is born we spend all our time giving our love and looking after the child and the baby we we focus all our attention on them we we fill all their needs to keep them alive. An alienating parent does not do this. They have children so that the child fills all their needs. Mm -hmm. It's totally the wrong way around. Mm -hmm. And God help you if you take that child away from them because then we see all of the false allegations and they think they're going to be alone, a lot of them. All the false allegations are, you know, ramp it up, ramp it up because you're taking their regulatory object away from them. You're taking their drug off them. Mm-hmm. They're going to fight. It's like I would. I work in drug and alcohol as well. They're, it's easier to get them off the drugs and alcohol than to deal with the person with the child mm-hmm. who's using them as a regulatory object. The, mm-hmm. the whole space is extremely difficult. You know, then what do you do with these lawyers that mm. as soon as you get into this courtroom, they speak first and they'll say, he or she's mentally ill and they're alienating the kid from this parent. Yeah. Well, that... 
I don't believe that if there's alienation, it should be in court. I think it should be moved back out into the mental health profession. But the clinical psychologists have run away from the family court system because of the vicarious trauma that they're having to endure by working in that system. And having said that, I might actually read a little bit of my data from from that because and I just I just mentioned that within my research the data that came out of the 10 mental health practitioners I actually asked them what ideas and psychoeducation and topics are you studying to be able to work in this field mm-hmm. and um basically they came up there there is a huge long list of of studies uh, that they have to do like everything from um I'll just I'll everything from they have to be really good at child identifying child sexual abuse they have to be really good at family systems they have to be really good at trauma pathology diagnosis personality disorders family and domestic violence um like the list the list is huge they have to be good at factitious disorder imposed on another they the things that they have to learn and know and be able to spot is is very lengthy and um the the mental health practitioners i want to say that i i interviewed were amazing i had within the 10 practitioners that i interviewed nine of them not only were they mental health practitioners face to face frontline workers Nine of them were academic researchers. Six of them were university lecturers. Five of them were authors. Five of them were clinic directors. Four were clinical psychologists. Three were psychotherapists. Two were forensic psychologists. So we had, I had a range of people internationally. They're not just pulled from Australia. I had a range of people because I had to go international to get um, the people that I needed and then it, it was big of them to put themselves out on the line like that because to admit yeah we're having a lot of trouble in this space we don't have a treatment protocol but this is the best that I'm doing at this moment and I'm getting so much professional development and everything but um, you know they said thank god for your research maybe we can all get on the same page at some point but if this is going on with our top professionals who's teaching the people in family court and then you you said before that the lawyer will stand up and go she's mentally ill she's this she's that and I'm like this is not a space for lawyers to be talking in I know (laughs) well so Sorry, Marianne. Oh, no. It just shows the mentality of these lawyers. It's that's that bad they want to win. Yeah. Destroy a parent just to win. Yeah. Well, they need to seriously take a look at themselves because um, they might win at all costs, but then I'm dealing with the child in the psychiatric unit a few years later who's Mm -hmm. on suicide watch Mm -hmm. under cameras with, you know, and I'm even talking to a psychiatrist last night at 11 p.m. because he's just put in one of my girls. Mm. So, um, you know, 
it's it's really serious and they have they're not thinking about the long-term consequences on these children and these families because mm-hmm. if we have children suiciding that that is um that is a big concern because suicide within a young person's population like the local schools up here we had one young person die by suicide and then we had another two die by suicide the following week because it's quite the our youth are on the edge as it is Mm -hmm. so and I I also am a I've been in the state emergency service so I'm a rescue officer I've been doing it for 25 years and um I also have to go out and bring in the children who jump off the bridges and jump in front of trucks and on their way out but some of them are even after they're released from the mental health units are doing this stuff (laughs) because they haven't been helped in there and no one's listening to them so it's like what are you lawyers doing and all these other people who are saying it's pseudoscience you come and talk to my kids you come and talk you come in and sit in sessions with me and you see if you think it's pseudoscience after spending a few days with me but the other thing that I want to talk about too is um, the mental and physical health challenges that were reported in my data by the mental health practitioners, and there's some serious stuff going on here. I won't, I won't, I'll read out a lot of it, but I'm going to put another trigger warning in here because um, some of this stuff is pretty serious. Um, so I've had reports of mental health practitioners who said they suffer from tachycardia, um, feeling nauseated, violated, they feel rage themselves, they're under high stress, burnout. A lot of the PA practitioners are leaving the field. A lot sometimes they're being threatened by clients. They're having their lives threatened. Mm-hmm. One of them said that they need a bodyguard when they speak at conferences. And that's because of the other PA professionals coming at them and the fighting that's going on in that arena. So they're getting bodyguards against the other professionals. Um, they say they feel danger at work. Uh, they've got they're under threats of being deregistered due to complaints about reports that they've written for court, stress from being cross-examined when appearing in court as a witness. They receive letters of complaint from health complaints commissioners. They get vexatious complaints from clients and ex-partners and ex-families. Mm-hmm. They experience accusations against them. They One said that they become an excitement junkie, getting used to the high levels of trauma that the clients have experienced, or they become desensitised to it. They're frustrated mm-hmm. that they don't have treatments to follow. Um, they have they have to support their colleagues so they have to support court workers they have to support the lawyers who Mm -hmm. are also experiencing vicarious trauma in this space um they're having panic attacks themselves Mm -hmm. they're watching children in serious child abuse and they're feeling very very helpless they're reeling from stories of abuse from adult survivors they're dealing with an impact of a shortage of pa professionals in court um, they're counselling children and adolescents with serious mental challenges themselves. Uh, they've got disgruntled c- clients galore. Um, 
there it's one of them said it's seriously dangerous work and another one who works in abductions says it's extremely rare for a stranger abduction to be recovered so that's a really hard part of my job she said they're usually dead so she's working with children who are being abducted in and parentally alienated so that's something else that we have to think about because of these children what's happening with these children who are being abducted like where are they going and a lot of these kids are being moved internationally and we've got a big problem with japan at the moment mm -hmm. and and fathers and mothers who have had children with japanese citizens like that's just a whole that's a whole other thing dealing with parents with severe personality disorders um this is an interesting one watching they're the older sons in the family dysregulating and being violent to their siblings due to watching their parents fighting. Another one said, I, a lot of times I hope to God that the court practitioner understands the parental alienation dynamic in front of them and doesn't become enmeshed with the client. That's my worst nightmare. Oh. So, and this one here, watching someone go from being an advocate um, as a targeted parent to being in a very dark space when they lose their hope and before you know it someone they could have <laughs> sometimes they're even being killed it says and sometimes they others will commit suicide or die by suicide as we say and one other person says I'm supporting a judge online whose life's being threatened someone told the judge that they would kill him so it's like what the heck is going on? And then one of my other practitioners says there's no treatment at all. It's a persecutory delusion. You cannot treat it. You cannot work with it and you cannot challenge it. And these are the alienators, severe level, in court. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of information, Marianne. So, yeah, thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, I... I think this would probably give some people some hope because my middle one was uh, alienated from me for a period of time. And um, it's probably because I started a federal lawsuit that I kept alive, I'm happy to say, for well over a year and a half, which is very hard to do. But yeah. it had to be done because people have to be held accountable. Yes. Somehow the father always had to read him court documents, which is none of the kids' business. Ooh, wow. No, all, no, yeah. no, no, no. The psychologist, back when we were in family court, the psychologist allowed the father, and there were two psychologists, allowing the father to bring in my motions or the judge's orders and further anxiety for the children. Okay, so what would happen was, you know, I had done a lot of, you know, praying over him and worrying over him. When you brought up um, suicidality, that was my worst fear. Yes, but, of course. You know, um, I had to move over 100 miles away. Um, and uh, he wanted, my, my son wanted to see my dad. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, good, because he's got to get through me to get to him. I thought, this is great. So now I get to yeah. see him. So the interesting part that I saw and understood then was the shared persecutory delusion. 
Yeah. My friend Ken was trying to get me to understand that it's very, once you wrap your head around that, then you get it. But when yeah. he, he walked through the door, he would not look at me like poor eye contact, very, looked tearful. You know, I brought my dad out. He kind of gave my dad some eye contact, but it wasn't good. And um, he was constantly looking at the floor, but gradually, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I showed, I gave him a tour of the house and I said, I missed you and I love you still. And he said, I love you too. And, um, you know, because these counselors say, don't tell your kids you miss them. Okay. So you don't tell a four-year-old you miss them because you don't want to stress them out. But I think a 21-year-old kind of needs to hear that <laughs> at the age of 21, you know? And so we started getting our relationship back on track. It's still not quite there yet, but you know, I would always say, I always, I always tell, you know, my, my other son, oh, you know, I love you whenever I see you, you know, and they leave, you know, I always say, I love you. So I told him, I said, you know, it's, it's kind of hurting my feelings that you're not saying I love you back. And he says, well, I don't trust people. And mm -hmm. I said, well, you shouldn't have that problem with me because I'm not the one who took you away from me. And he kind of like backed up, but it got things going where when I say when he comes over and I he leaves I say I love you and he says I love you back but he also needed to understand that I was the one that was not starting this mess yeah it's a very difficult space it's very difficult space mm -hmm. there's but a lot a lot yeah. in that space you know it's like it's like one step forward two steps back but but it, this this relationship is so way much better than it ever was. So there is hope out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I reunited with my dad and there's a lot of adult child survivors stepping up now. They're very powerful. They've got big voices. We traditionally haven't ever been invited to conferences. So we're actually going to have our own conference this year in October, mm -hmm. full of adult child survivors and what advocacy work they're doing and what works with them. We're going to have our own voice this year. No PA experts without lived experience whatsoever in the conference mm. and people will be invited to watch and it'll be the first time ever that we've been able to do this, but it's prime. There's a lot of, a lot of adult children who've come through the system and out the other side now who've realised what's going on and they're like, we were over this, you lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, and a lot of them are saying the research is wrong. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a very, very interesting time. The next 10 years, I think everything's going to change around. Mm -hmm. I hope as soon as we get the treatment protocol, I've been working on that for five years. So um, now I've got the PhD done and my lived experience and with my work that I do, uh, I should be able to come at it from a three perspective point of view. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, hopefully go into clinical trials soon and get that all done so that at least we've got, and even that will have to be 
uh, a fluid object because there's just so many different components to this puzzle that we don't and haven't seen, we don't know about, we haven't seen. Mm -hmm. But there's more and more and more adult children of severe parental alienation coming forward with more and more complex intersecting traumas that I perhaps have not captured in my research. So I need more researchers to pick up where I've started from. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to have you back on again, perhaps after this conference. Yeah. Well, October is the conference. So we're going to make it on World Mental Health Day. So in America, that's going to be the 10th. And Dawn McCarty is working on that. And Maddie from the Anti-Alienation Project working on that and um yeah there's a lot of uh adult child survivors Mm -hmm. who are very big advocates in this area we're all coming together so we're not fighting we're setting an example and we're all coming together and uniting and bringing in a, a lot of other adult children who do not understand the space and we've got a support group under the anti alienation project um we've got a support group for adult survivors of parental alienation and that's growing rapidly so we're able to offer each other support in there and talk about our stories no one without experience is allowed in that group it's a very safe group and um so there's a lot of movement in that space and a lot of hope for the children who are out there because there's there's a lot of kids who know what's going on Definitely. Hopefully if we can get the family court. Abolished. Roll, roll. roll. The lawyers (laughs) understanding the school system, um, just all the education. We need to drastically improve education. Mm -hmm. And the mental practitioners, we need need very specialised subjects in university and... As a final note, I was going to read out all of the things that mental health practitioners need to know about. And if the lawyers want to go off and learn about this too, good, but this is very much a mental health domain. Mm-hmm. So um, so we're not taught about how to treat adult children of SPA at university. We're just not. I mean, it never was even mentioned parental alienation we'd call it cut-offs and all sorts of other things but it never ever went into the the realms that we actually have to address so they need to be I'll write it I'll write it my explain my little list here they have to be very good at understanding enmeshment family and domestic violence brainwashing um factitious disorder imposed on another Uh, all of that can be happening we need to train um mental health practitioners in cult behaviour, eating disorders, suicidality, drug and alcohol, um, familicide. That's a major topic in my world, mm-hmm. like familicide. Don't, we haven't even gone there today, but we won't. Mm-hmm. Filicide, abduction, child sexual abuse, high conflict divorce, trauma, types of false allegations, supervised visits, persecutory oh. delusions, mm-hmm. personality disorders, criminal court charges, like my guys, my women, up to their eyeballs in criminal court charges, you know. Um, Lengths of violence alienators will go to, especially men in domestic violence who are accused of stuff like, whoa, Um, sentencing, family court subpoenas, subpoenaing of our notes, 
what to do if an alienator sends someone after us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that happens too. I have nine cameras at my practice <laughs> because of the people that I work with. It's ca- Everything's captured on film and I have a very, very healthy relationship with the local police. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, um, well, I treat a lot of them for PTSD too. Oh. <laughs> but, um, that's a whole different other subject. But um. That's just a few of the subjects that we have to know working in this field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got to get it together and learn those. Um, got to get it together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how can people, <laughs> how, yeah. how people reach you if they have any questions? Uh, they can um, send me an email at, uh, let me think, which um, just let me, Grab here. Got it up here. Um, they can email me at Dr. D R A Price P R I C E Tobler T O B L E R at Sempi S E M P I dot com dot au. They can email me there. Um, they can have a look at my website as well. That's just www.aliceprice-tobler.com. I'm also on Twitter. We, we're pretty hardcore on Twitter under at Elise, A-L-Y-S-E, Tobler. I'm on Twitter and I'm also on LinkedIn. So I'm around um, if people want to talk to me. But like I said, I specialize in adult children of severe parental alienation. So I can talk about that till the cows come home. Well, it's been an honor to interview you. This was great. (laughs) Well, thank you, Marianne, from one horse lover to another, which is our original connection. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, I appreciate all of the work that you're doing in the family court system and being a um, targeted parent yourself, you have you have the knowledge, you have the understanding of, of what this hideous thing is. And mm-hmm. I applaud you for the work that you're doing too. We need way more Slam the Gavel podcasts out there. And I'm happy to have spoken to you for the first time about my research because no one else has heard it before. So, Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, but uh, don't jump off, okay? Okay. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, and feel free to donate to buy me a coffee to help keep this podcast going. Thank you so much, Dr. Elise Christ Tolbert. <laughs> Thank you so very, very much. My pleasure. Anything to help the children. You'll be back.